Light was soaking out of the sky when they drove up to Bouldershaw Fell. Judy sat beside Professor Reinhardt in the back of the staff car as it slid up the road from Bouldershaw Town to the open moor. She peered hopefully out of the windows, but they were nearly at the crest of the hill before they could see the radio telescope. Suddenly, it stood in front of them, three huge pillars curving together at the top to form a triangular arch, dark and stark against the ebbing sky. Hollowed out of the ground between the uprights lay a concrete bowl the size of a sports arena, and above, suspended from the top of the arch, a smaller metal bowl looked downwards and pointed a long antenna at the ground. The size of the whole thing did not strike the eye at first. It simply looked out of proportion to the landscape. Only when the car had drawn up and parked beneath it, did Judy begin to realize how big it was. It was quite unlike anything else she had seen, as completely and intensely itself as a piece of sculpture. Yet, for all its strangeness, there was nothing particularly sinister about the tall, looming structure to warn them of the extraordinary and disastrous future that was to emerge from it. Out of the car, they stood for a moment with the soft, sweet air filling their heads and lungs, and gazed up at the three huge pylons, at the metal reflector that glistened high above them, and at the pale sky beyond. Around them, a few low buildings and smaller arrays of aerials were scattered about on the empty moor top, enclosed by a wire-link fence. There was no sound but the wind in the pylons, and the curlews calling, and they could almost feel the great concrete and metal ear beside them straining to listen to the stars. Then the professor led the way to the main building, a low stone-faced affair with a half-finished entrance and a newly laid approach. Men were putting in gateposts and direction notices and painting them. It all looked very new and sharp against the soft, dark hilltop. There's all sorts of subsidiary gubbins, said the professor, with a small, delicate wave of his hand. This houses the main control room. He was a man in his sixties, small, neat and cosy, like a family doctor. It's quite a baby, said Judy. Baby? It's the biggest baby I've ever given birth to, a ten years' labor. He twinkled at her, and his small black shoes pattered up the steps into the control building. The entrance hall had an unfinished but at the same time familiar look. Inevitable pegboard ceiling, inevitable composition floor, plain color-washed brick walls and fluorescent lighting. There was a wall telephone and a drinking fountain. There were two small doors in the side walls, and there were double doors facing the entrance, and that was about all. A faint hissing noise came from behind the double doors. When the professor opened them, the hissing became louder. It sounded like atmospherics from a radio. As they went through the double doors, a man in a cleaner's brown coat came out. His eye met Judy's for a moment, but when she parted her lips, he looked away. Good evening, Harry's, said the professor. The room they entered was the control room, the center of the observatory. At the far end, an observation window gave a view of the gigantic sculpture outside, and facing the window was a massive metal desk, like an organ console, fitted with panels of buttons, lights, and switches. Several young men were working at the desk, referring from time to time to the two computers, which stood in tall metal cases on each side of it. One side wall was covered with enlargements of optical telescope photographs of stars, and the other was two-thirds glass partition, 
behind which more young men could be seen working at equipment in an inner room. The opening ceremony will be in here, said Reinhardt. Where does the minister break the champagne bottle, or cut the ribbon, or whatever he does? At the desk. He presses a button on the control desk to start it. It isn't working yet? Not yet. We are running acceptance tests. Judy stood by the doorway, taking it in. She was the sort of good-looking young woman who is more often called handsome than pretty, with a fresh complexion and alert, intelligent face, and a very positive, slightly ungainly way of standing. She might have been a nurse, or an officer in the services, or simply the product of a good hockey-playing school. She had rather large hands and deep blue eyes. Under one arm she held a bundle of papers and pamphlets, which she pulled out and looked at, as if they might explain what she saw.